Welcome to this episode of the Elite Advisor Blueprint Podcast with your host, Brad Johnson. Brad's the VP of Advisor Development at Advisors Excel, the largest independent insurance brokerage company in the U.S. He's also a regular contributor to Investment News, The Wall Street Journal, and other industry publications. Welcome to the Elite Advisor Blueprint, the podcast for world-class financial advisors. I'm Brad Johnson, VP of Advisor Development at Advisors Excel, and it's my goal to distill the best ideas and advice from top thought leaders and apply it to the world of independent financial advising. Today, I'm talking with Jason Hewlett. Jason is a leadership expert, author, and Hall of Fame speaker. He's delivered over 2,000 presentations for Fortune 500 companies, including American Express, Delta Airlines, and the 2002 Winter Olympics, to name just a few. In his keynote, The Promise, Become a Legendary Leader and Discover Your Signature Moves, Jason uses music, entertainment, and an unconventional storytelling method to convey actionable insights and proven processes designed to transform your leadership skills. For financial advisors who want to compete in a world full of robo-advisors, AI, and people that are after your clients all over the globe, Jason's message is a must-listen. It will do more than help you grow your business. It will give you the power to live a more joyful life. Here are three of my big takeaways from this episode. Number one, what Jason learned about public speaking from his father, who just so happened to be one of Sun Life Canada's number one producers in their whole distribution, and how he responded when Jason told him that he wasn't taking over the family business. Definitely a lesson in how he reacted. Number two, why so many financial advisor websites are like commercials that don't deliver, and how you can find your signature move, become unforgettable, and forge incredible connections with clients in an era where it seems like personal connection seems harder to come by. And number three, the one thing Jason did to fill his calendar with steady work from ultra, ultra high net worth, we're talking billionaire clients for years and years and why it's at the heart of every business relationship in every industry. As always, all the show notes that include links to all the resources, books mentioned, and people discussed are available on the show notes page at bradleyjohnson.com forward slash 69. And that's it. As always, thanks for listening. And without further delay, my conversation with Jason Hewlett. Welcome to this episode of the Elite Advisor Blueprint. I've got special guest Jason Hewlett here with me today. Welcome to the show, Jason. Hey, thanks for having me, Brad. This is great. Well, it's always this podcasting thing's been such a weird world to navigate because I feel like I've got random friends all over the place that introduce me to other amazing people. And it was fun how we crossed paths. John Rulin uh, was out speaking at, I believe it was Top of the Table out in Hawaii. And you guys shared a stage together and he sends me a text or an email or something like that. And he's like, Hey, there's this guy named Jason. I've got to introduce you guys because number one, like million dollar round table, he's like spoken there 10 plus times. I keep bringing him back. And he just, he had the whole crowd going and I know he could bring a lot of value to your audience. So, so I'm super excited to have you on the show here today, Jason, because your reputation precedes you. So. Hey man, John Rulin is the best. And here's the thing: when I when I heard of John coming to the event because I was the master of ceremonies, and I wish I had done ten events for MDRT. It was actually I'd only done a few, and as of now, I've done seven uh-huh. in fifteen months. So that's pretty cool. But yeah, I read about John, and then I watched a couple of videos before I did a one minute introduction of him. 
And when I watched him, I was like, this guy is so good, like so <laughs> legitimately good. And this message is so legit about giftology and gifting others. And, and I was just so taken by him. And then I met him and he's just even cooler in person, you know, and yes, we yes. had such a great connection. He's been, he's become a mentor to me, a really dear friend. So I'm thrilled he's connected, man. Yeah, John, I was joking with him the other day. He is the ultimate connector. He knows everybody, but even better, like he thrives on connecting people that don't know each other. They could help each other together. So that's that's what I love about John. And the, the other thing is giftology isn't just a show for him. That's how he lives. And you know, randomly like sets of knives are showing up at my house and I'm like, what, what's going on here? And it's like <laughs> gift bombs coming from Ruin. So anyway, it's fun. It's fun when a guy like that connects you. Yeah, and that's his signature move. That's what I call it. He's known as a connector. I mean, we all have signature moves that make us unique. And John, I mean, he's certainly that. So I'm glad we could be connected through his power of connecting. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, well, let's dive in. We did a little phone call just so I could understand a bit more of of what you bring to the table. And there's a lot of different aspects to what you got going on, Jason. But as I was prepping for this, one of the coolest stories is you actually can bring to this audience, obviously a bunch of financial advisors out there, a different aspect that many of them struggle with. And so we talked, uh, you grew up, your dad was an ultra successful, I think more on the insurance side of an advisor. And you were the kid in the crowd that he kind of like brought along with him to all these speaking engagements he was brought out to. He was the number one guy for Sun Life. Was that yeah, Sun Life number one Canada. guy. Yeah, number one in the world. Number one years. in the world for all of Sun Life in the mid '90s, and so you're his son, kind of following around it, you know, to these conferences and speaking engagements. And I mean, you you even shared. I think he was like he was hopping on the stage after Zig Ziglar. I mean, this, this was legitimate speaking events. And so, what I would love to hear is, oftentimes, this audience that's listening in, they've got their viewpoint. They're the dad right? They're the dad. They're sitting there trying to make a business work. It can be a lot of excitement, but also a lot of frustration like any entrepreneur. Can you go back to young Jason, the Jason sitting in the crowd? And what was that like? Because we've got a lot of moms and dads. And what were the benefits of that? And what were some maybe lessons that they could take away with their children and how to maybe incorporate them into the business or trips or some different things that your dad did? Yeah, that is such a cool angle, Brad. I mean, nobody ever talks to me about this stuff. So I love that we can talk about this for your group because the power of having a parent that's doing this for a living is so unique. It's extraordinary in the sense that they are the go-getters. They are the self-motivators. They have to be so entrepreneurial-minded and then they can teach everything about life just by doing their business. And my dad taught me so many valuable lessons in the sense of he actually took me along the journey with him. And I'm so grateful that I fell into that place as the oldest child. He would take me along on these crazy trips. And you know, when you hit those levels of success, you start getting to go from, from Salt Lake City, Utah, you go to uh, Texas, and then you go to LA, and then you go to New York, and then, oh, now we're going to the Bahamas, and now we're going to Ireland and, and London. And oh man, how cool was it that he would take me on these trips? Because mom had, you know, all these other children that were younger than me, 
So I became his traveling partner. It was really, really awesome. Hmm. And then when your dad is already your hero, because he's awesome at what he does, he can sell things and do great things himself. Then the next thing you know, he's standing on stage after the best speaker you've ever seen. And he actually is as good as that speaker, in your opinion, as a child. (laughs) It opens your eyes to the possibility of what you can become. And so as a young boy, thinking to myself, what am I going to be when I grow up? Because I do weird things with my face and my voice, and I wasn't doing so well in school at the time. And I'm thinking, what am I going to become? And my dad would always say, he would say, you're going to take over my business someday. You're going to be doing this same thing. So you need to learn this from me. This is how you negotiate. This is how you talk to people. This is how you connect. We would sit down to dinner and then I'd look up and he was gone. He'd be networking, connecting the entire room all together. And he was just working the tables, talking to everybody. I watched him take people to the Utah Jazz basketball game. And then he, he would connect everyone in the arena, it seemed. I just remember watching him saying, this is something I want to be able to figure out in my own career so that I can make it work. But yeah, when he would jump up on the stage after winning an award, and then he would give an acceptance speech that people were laughing, and then they were crying. And imagine how I felt as his kid. You know, I'm just like, man, that's that's my dad. But you know, the (laughs) problem with that is then you're like, the shadow is cast so long, what am I supposed to do? And so as I've gotten older and I've created my own career for myself, it's obviously turned out okay. But I'm so grateful for a dad that taught me so many things in that way. Hmm. That's so cool. Yeah, I think a lot of times all of us kind of get focused in through our career and what we're doing. And obviously, we're, we're trying to be the best parent along the way as well. But sometimes we should take a second and look through the lens of our children and see how they're experiencing it and, and what lessons they, that we might be able to instill in them that way. Was there a lesson or two? like looking back that your dad gave you, obviously he was modeling success. He was modeling connection, but was there like a core lesson that sticks with you where he's like, Hey son, someday some wisdom that he dropped to you or anything that as the advisors out there that are the ones on stage presenting and, and running these businesses that they might be able to purposefully instill into their children. Well, that's a great question as well, because I would say to him, how did you come up with that speech? You know, like it seemed like it was off the cuff. And he said, Yeah, it was. And I would say, how did you do that? They're all laughing and they're all crying. And he said, I'm just ready to speak. I live a life that makes me ready to get up and do that. And that inspired me at a very early age to realize, I guess I kind of don't need to write a speech per se. Hmm. I just need to collect stories as I go along that inspire, that move people. And he would sing a song. I remember remember sitting there and he goes, I'd like to close with a song. <laughs> and I was like, what? Well, he's at an acceptance of, you know, a word speech. And he's like, let there be peace on earth and let it begin with me. And people are like, oh my gosh, who is this guy? And I was like, man, that's my dad. So yeah, that kind of thing inspired in me the thought that a speech doesn't have to look like everyone says it does. And mm. at the same time, I remember going with him as a kid and sitting across the table from very, very wealthy people. Cause he, 
you know, when you start in the business uh, of insurance and financial planning, you're dealing with people that have some amount of money to utilize. And then he would say to me as we'd be walking in, he'd go, son, I'm going to tell them what my fee is to do their financial planning. But I'm really shocked because it's pretty high for what I'm offering with setting up, you know, the partnerships and the foundations and the state planning, all these things. He said, so watch how I'm just quiet after I tell them the fee. And I was like, okay, I didn't think that much of it. But as I've learned more about negotiating in my own life now, I realized he taught me that. Just by him pointing it out, these are my techniques as to how to talk to people and tell them what I'm worth and tell them the value I'm helping them to utilize in their own life. All those life lessons, man, that changed my whole world moving forward and in my career. Hmm. Well, what I'm hearing is he always showed up with a high level of authenticity and confidence is the couple of things that you know I'm just pulling out of that, which all great presenters have. <laughs> well, let's dive in because it's interesting as I started to understand your life work and one of your keynote conversations you have from stage, you call it the promise. And what's interesting, it's the promise to clients and the promise to family. So it's almost like this is your life story just molded into a keynote speech. So can you share whatever can benefit the audience here today? What, what is the promise? What's that like? How could advisors out there start to think about that? Yeah, it's actually, an, as I gave that speech yesterday for a group of real estate folks, I realized, man, this is just my life story in a very applicable system and process that people can apply to their own lives. And so, yeah, it, the promise is just this concept that I like to say, why set a goal when we can make a promise? And not to say that goals aren't important, but goals are particulars and promises are proclamations. So what are your proclamations in your life and in your business? A lot of people call it a mission statement. I like to consider the promises even stronger than that. And they're the non-negotiables. They're the things that we just always do. We always deliver no matter what. And, you know, if, if people are concerned about semantics and goals, I love goals. I set goals. But I know that when I miss a goal, I just reset the goal, <laughs> you know, or make a new goal. But if I make a promise and I break it, then I have a problem. And so what are those promises that are the unbreakables in your business and in your family life? And so I talk about how there are three elements to the promise. The first element is our audience. And if we consider ourselves performers and all that we do, we're based upon performance. We get paid for our greatness as performers anyway. No matter our stage, we all have an audience. And uh, they're your clients. And then the second element is the family. The family could be the family at work or the family at home. And so I talk about both of those and our promises in that regard. And the third element of the promise is the promise to the one. And the one is yourself. It's you. What are the promises you're making or breaking to yourself? And so I teach this process of the promise. And what is our promise to our audience, our clients, let's say, if you ask that first. Now, let's consider this, Brad. Say you go to a concert. Do you have a favorite performer you've ever seen in concert that you went to the concert so excited to see them and they didn't sing their hit song you were expecting to hear? Yes. I've got, and I'm still mad about it today. <laughs> the, the violent femmes in Las oh, Vegas. 
They did not play Blister in the Sun. Can you imagine? No way. They really? did not. Pl- they played every song except Blister in the Sun. Why do you remember that so fondly or terrifyingly or uh, the emotion it evoked? When I well, I mean, some people would call the Violent Femmes a one-hit wonder. I don't think they were, but they were. They, they were very much known for one song. <laughs> And if you don't play the one song that everybody comes to see, then that's going to create an issue. I, and I still can't believe it to this day. Okay, so I'm starting to bring that up. But the truth <laughs> is, right, it matters, yeah? It does matter. They broke a promise to you. Whether they realized it or not, whether they cared or not, whether they even spoke the promise and said, we know we made a promise to the young Brad who's coming to see our only hit, in Las Vegas, <laughs> and we're not going to play it because we know he wants to hear it. They didn't do that consciously, but think about the promises you've made to your clients in that regard, in the sense of delivering something that they came to you initially for. Why did they choose you? It's because of your hit song. It's because hmm. of your signature moves. It's because you have something that you deliver that made you stand out enough in this world. I call it standing out in a sit-down world. Your signature move was so unique. Your signature song was so awesome that they came to your concert and you're cheering from the front row and now you don't deliver it. You've broken a promise to that audience. So what are those promises that we've made? Do we even realize we've made them? Oftentimes we don't even realize. It's like an unspoken subconscious promise. But if you're offering something on your website and you're not actually delivering that reality, it's called the commercial versus the reality. It's the concert thinking they're going to play their hit and then you show up and they don't. So you have a certain expectation. You show up and they don't meet it. Well, we don't want that experience for any of our clients. And you have forever been affected by your allegiance to the Venice Fan for their inability to deliver on their promise. That doesn't mean you stopped listening. It just means you didn't go to their concert and come away going, I'm an even bigger fan. Mm -hmm. That's what we want our clients to feel when they interact with us. If they come away saying, that was not what I thought I went for. That's not what I thought I committed to. That's what we do not want. We don't want the commercial to be greater than the reality. That is a broken promise to our client. So does that make sense? A hundred percent. You're bringing up all these emotions from a concert I went to like a decade ago. <laughs> so now how often let's dive in there because that's so spot on. And I'm just like, even as you said, website, I'm sitting there thinking about all of these financial advisor websites because I've helped advisors, you know, build them. You know, we focus on marketing a ton right. and All of them have all of these promises. And it's funny how often times, like when you actually dive into their planning process, it is a commercial. It's not actually getting delivered upon. So if I was going to start to correct that, is there a framework that I want to start to think through of what do I promise? Or how do I come up with that promise that's unique to me? Totally. That's Awesome that you would ask. I would say that as you're going through it, you need to make sure that you have your signature moves, your signature offerings, those promises uh, front and center. What are they going to receive? What are you willing to stand on in order to make it so that they go, oh yeah, he kept my promise. She kept her promise to me. These things are hard to identify. And so 
what I like to do is um, before we lay out, hey, what's going to be your new marketing or your website, your brand and all that, we've got to go back in time a little bit to what is your signature move? What is your hit song? Why is it that they came to you in the first place? If you can't answer that, then you have some incongruence in your messaging, in your branding, in your presentation. And so uh, I call that the discovering of our signature move. And so how do you do that? If I asked you, Brad, you know, I'm not going to put you on the spot, but, you know, we talked about John Rulin. John Rulin's signature move, you could tell me right away, connection. That is the connector. Okay, he has more than just that, but that's like the main one you said. First one I thought of too. People are talking about your signature moves and why they would listen to this podcast compared to anyone else. I mean, there are other podcasts like this, but no one does it just like you. And so if I ask any leader in business, hey, hey, Brad, or hey, whomever, what's your signature move in business? It actually makes your mind freak out for a second. You know, I put you on the spot. What's your signature move? What's that thing that makes you stand out from everyone else? And we kind of go, uh, I don't know. You know, we kind of go shy or, or unconfident. It, you're, so I say, you're, so, you're so right there because that's <laughs> in our coaching process. That's one of the things we help advisors create is their signature move. We call it their proprietary process, right? But it's so funny, like the upper, upper echelon. What is it that makes, you know, why do your clients choose you? Like that's our version of asking the same thing, right? Yeah. And it's crickets. Because okay. most people have not thought that deeply, right? Like no. right to your point. They haven't thought that no. deeply about their signature move. And that's normal. That's normal for a leader because a leader, and I call it uh, becoming a legendary leader, discover your signature moves and keep your promise. That's the whole message I share. And so when I ask leaders, it's the funniest thing to watch them. I mean, I'm, I'm sitting there talking to millionaires or billionaires, or even speakers on leadership. And I say, hey, what's your signature move? And they're like, uh, don't put me on the spot, man. <laughs> and, mm-hmm. and I'm like, okay, that's all right. That's normal. So instead of me pinpointing just one thing that's your signature, let's flip the funnel. Instead of going to just the one thing, let's flip the funnel to say, hey, you've got, you've got tons of them. You have tons of talents, gifts, strengths, abilities that make you who you are. Let's go for a hundred. And so if your audience was not driving a car or working out, listening to this, and they're sitting with a notepad, I challenge your audience to actually start writing down what they think their gifts are, natural gifts. I know if I do this process, the first time I did it, I only got to about 30 and I was stretching to get to 30. You know, I'm funny. I play the piano. I love my children. You know, I mean, it's like you're trying to put whatever it is together when in reality, you can start to unpack what it means to be an entertainer in my way of defining it. So if I say to myself, I'm an entertainer, I identify with that as one thing. I can now unpack that and say, well, an entertainer is is funny, insightful, could be philosophical, could be musical, could do uh, could do stories, could to educate others. And, and then you start unpacking that all the way down. Now I have not just the entertainer word, but maybe I have 10 or 20 words that help define that one word that I identify with. So now I come up with like a hundred gifts, talents, skills that I have. And maybe those that are listening are thinking to themselves, well, I, I don't identify with entertainment. Okay. Then identify with financial planning. <laughs> well, I'm analytical. 
I can solve problems. I can connect the dots. I can help people that can't help themselves. I can keep on track, on target. I'm a, I'm Mr. Accountability. I'm Mr. Organization. I'm Miss Thoughtful, whatever it is, right? So start to unpack that, write it down. These are your gifts. Don't think about what you're not good at. We always talk about what we need to improve. Don't think about that. Think only about what you're good at, what you've always been good at. And as you start to identify it, if you actually got to 100, amazing. Start to circle the ones that really stand out and then whittle it down to your top 10 list. If you come up with the top 10 list, the next thing you know, you're going to have many, many, many signature moves that make you who you are. And so if I were to do an impersonation of a musical artist, I can easily do the impersonation just by looking at the things that make them who they are. For example, if I said Elvis Presley, that might be too old for your audience, but pretty much everyone knows who Elvis was, or for those that still think he is alive, is. And so Elvis, when if I say, hey, what's my impression of Elvis have to look like? People say, well, you have to have the hair. Okay, uh-huh, I got the hair. What else do I have to do? I have to do that voice thing, uh-huh. Oh, yeah, thank you very much. Uh-huh. Okay, what's the other signature? Oh, he's got that lip thing he does. Uh-huh. Hey, thank you very much. Uh-huh. And then he also did this jiggle thing with his body. Uh-huh. Well, it's all going on. Uh-huh. And now I'm moving my shoulders. These are all signature moves of Elvis. Oh, I got to get the glasses. I have to get sideburns. I have to get an outfit. I have to move my leg. Uh-huh. When Elvis Presley walked into Sun Records in the 50s as a kid, the lady at the receptionist desk said to him, Okay, Mr. Elvis Presley, who do you sound like? And Elvis said, what are you talking about? She said, well, what artist do you sound like? And he said, I don't sound like nobody. I sound like Elvis Presley. (laughs) 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 And now that's somebody who understands their signature move. And so what are your signature moves? Intimidating question, right? What a process. I feel like you've done an Elvis impersonation before. That wasn't that wasn't the first one, was it? No, no, I, I've done a lot of impressions there. But that's just a good example of someone who used a lot of signature moves that they're known for. You know, and, and we all have a lot of them. And if you keep following that path, why he was so distinct and stood out from the crowd, yeah. right? Because as he combined his signature moves, nobody else had that combination. That's right. And that's what most financial advisors are trying to do is stand out from the crowd, not be a commodity. So it's really interesting how those two can tie together. Especially nowadays with AI coming in. I mean, (laughs) I just did an event with Sophia the Robot and all the the 10,000 attendees in Sydney, Australia for the Million Dollar Roundtable are sitting there thinking, okay, AI and technology is taking over my job. Well, it's not going to take your job as long as you're utilizing your signature moves that make you completely indispensable, completely unforgettable, important in every way. Then you can just utilize the technology to help you get even better. So let's go to that because I know you just got back not too long ago from that event and legitimately you interviewed, I think, the most advanced robot currently available, correct? As far as AI is concerned, Sophie? Yeah. Yeah, she looks yeah. like uh, she was designed after, what's her name, the uh, from Tiffany's. Anyway, she's a, like an old movie star. Oh, uh, and, 
and I can't remember anything. She had breakfast uh, at Tiffany's? Yeah, yeah. Uh, <laughs> I can't remember that. Oh, my. Audrey Hepburn. Audrey Hepburn, she's this very pleasant-looking robot, very creepy, and she has this beautiful <laughs> face, and then this robot head, and and so you can not be fooled that she's a human because she has a robot head, but she has this beautiful face and an, and an actual body, and the client only paid for the top half of the body because the legs are even more expensive. So they put her on a cart and put a skirt on the cart to make it look like a full-sized human. And for three months, Brad, I went back and forth with the robotics people at Hanson Robotics in Hong Kong. And we created the script and the material that I would perform on stage with this robot. It was unbelievable. So, so this, this is like, I'm completely fine with going down a rabbit trail here on this because this is just <laughs> weird and interesting all at the same time. What? So the context, because AI, uh, robo advising, a lot of that is obviously very, very, uh, top of mind for a lot of advisors out there. Was this whole presentation, was it more of just like a spoof, like I'm interviewing a robot or was there a lot of actual, like, here's some technology you need to start to be thinking about to how to kind of put a moat around your castle as it comes to a financial advisor and AI and the advances there. Like, like what, what, were there any key takeaways that just from that, that that whole experience, the three months that you could share that would be meaningful? I would say it was more just a stage performance rather than like some educational piece around what AI is going to offer and create for your audience and listeners. But the truth of it is, is that they, uh, they gave me the opportunity to write the script around what I can do to see how she works with me. Hmm. In other words, instead of forcing me into some pigeonhole performance, they said, let's see what you can create, Jason, with your talents and skills that we can see if Sophia the robot can imitate or complement what you're Hmm. doing. And so in that sense, that's what technology is. It's what we put into it. It's how we connect with it. It's how we utilize it. Or we can ignore it. And we can say, yeah, it's it's there. And that's what it does. And then we fall behind the time. Or we can say, I'm on top of this. These are my signature moves I identify with. And how do I utilize that within technology? I know, Brad, when I stand on the stage, I either have my phone or I have my laptop or I have an iPod and I press play on the music cues to allow me to create the experience the audience is going to have. So if they're laughing at one thing but not another, I can skip forward and create it just because of the beauty of this technology. Hmm. And so I'm using that in a live performance, just as you can utilize that for you know actuarial numbers and estimates and these types of things that these insurance people were thinking through and how to create numbers and, and estimates and percentages that they never probably could estimate in their own head with technology just going, oh, it's right here. It's perfect. Now, a lot of people in the financial world are freaking out thinking, well, yeah, now, now people can go online and do my whole job. I'm not even, a, I'm not even important anymore. Oh, well, that's too bad that you think that, you know, <laughs> if you're good enough at what you do, that they want to connect with you, that they want to have you be the one they trust, then trust me, you will have a job for a long time and be very essential to the planning of everyone you work with. Yeah. Yeah. I couldn't, 
echo that more. I've dealt with some very, very intelligent advisors over the years, like have every designation under the sun. And quite honestly, if they didn't have that one skill, the skill of connection and dealing with humans, they weren't, I mean, they weren't very successful because people didn't want to interact with them. They could have been the smartest guy in the room, but they just didn't know how to create a relationship, which is what's so key. And just even hearing the story of your dad, that was the skill set he had was connecting and creating relationships. And that's what I've seen with the very, very best. They can still be really good at math, but they have to figure out that skill as well if they want to they want to do well in this industry. Oh, totally. That that has to be the driver. And and that's why this process, if your audience is willing to write down what the process is, I'll tell them in three words. You ready? It's identify, clarify, magnify. If they're willing to do that process of identifying their talents, their gifts, their skills, their strengths, clarify. The clarify process is asking others to help us clarify what we don't see in ourselves. And the magnify process is simply in finding out once we know our identify, clarify elements of ourselves, now we magnify it by keeping our promise to those that we serve. We share and use our signature move. If we find out what makes us great with our identify process and we discover our signature moves and we don't share them, we are cheating the world of something only we can deliver. If we have clarified from other people that say, hey, you're good at that, keep doing that, do that more. You know, whether it was a teacher in high school or it was, you know, the, the coworker that said to you, hey, you should probably leave this business and go start your own because you're so good at this on your own. And there are listeners right now that are like, oh yeah, that happened to me. Okay, so here we are. How are you magnifying those skill sets or are you just stuck in the minutia every single day of doing your least valuable you know, uh, things in your business. So identify, clarify, magnify. When you come up with your signature moves through that process and clarifying it with others as to what makes you unique, what makes you amazing, then magnify that. That's your promise. Cool. All right. I'm going to switch gears on you a bit because if I didn't, if I didn't get to this, I mean, I just have... Everybody needs to hear this part of your story. So as we connected before we actually recorded here, you mentioned the beginning of this story, which was growing up in financial services and your dad saying, hey, someday you're going to be a partner at the firm. Well, we can share pieces of that story if you want, but you kind of went past that and then decided to hang out in Vegas as an entertainer for a while before you became a keynote speaker into more what you're doing today. I would just, speaking of identifying... I mean, to me, that's like going back in your story. You were trying to identify what is it that Jason's really good at. Can you kind of talk us through a little bit of that story where, hey, I either the passion wasn't there, I didn't end up being part of dad's firm. Then I was out in Vegas. And I think the other thing, I'm asking the world's longest question here. I'm going to get to, I'm going to throw it back <laughs> to you, buddy. I, I want to hear that story, but I also think there's some really cool learnings we can get from your time out in Vegas because... The craziness in, of Vegas, and we've all probably experienced that at some times in our lives, is you're sitting out there entertaining for people that they might be sober, they might not. They obviously have a high expectation of your performance. But I think a lot of financial advisors can identify with doing public events, being on stage, and you know what's the curveball that I'm going to get from the heckler out in the audience. So maybe just share whatever that story applies to the audience here, because I think it could be really fun. And so let me just make sure I've got it. Are you wanting me to talk about how I 
ended up in Vegas instead of with my dad working on the the business or what for sure do we want to yeah do? let's let's share a little bit of the story because there was the growing up expectation that then obviously you transition and spent some time in Vegas so I think just the biography of that could be really cool but then maybe stop in Vegas and share a few key learnings that that advisors might be able to learn from some time doing live performances out there okay so how does Vegas start well <laughs> I mean, when you're, <laughs> when you're being told by your teachers in elementary school, you know, at least my parents were being told, he is going to be held back every single year. <laughs> my parents were very proud. No, they were, my mom and my dad are obviously the champions of the story, right? Because my mom would go into school as the room parent and she would help and stay after and help me read. I mean, I find it interesting that I'm failing in reading and language and I'm going to a speech therapist and now I'm a speaker and an <laughs> author. And it's because of a mom who wouldn't give up while the teachers are saying, hold them back, hold them back. So parents can make a huge difference in that sense, of course. Then there's my dad. My dad's looking at it going, here's the kid that's going to take over Hewlett Brothers Financial Corporation. What on earth am I going to do with this? You know, because I'm practicing in the basement, my my faces that only I can do, you know, and for those that are listening, they need to watch this part, I guess. You need but to I check found out that YouTube I could do that. all these facial things that nobody else was doing, but it made people laugh. And unfortunately, it also made me a bit of a target. So the teachers were like, he's not learning. He doesn't he doesn't take it serious. That was only a few le- uh, few teachers that said I was actually a leader and I needed to harness this talent. But it wasn't until I'm sitting in my bedroom one day trying to figure out what I'm going to do with my future. My dad walks in and sets a couple of books down on my bed. And he says, son, not doing well in school. Okay. Uh, you're going to probably be running my business someday. Okay. You need to make sure to read these books. And he started to sit him down. As a Man Thinketh by James Allen. How to Win Friends and Influence People by Dale Carnegie. Let's see, what was the next one? Oh, The Greatest Salesman in the World, Ogmandino. Yeah. The Power of Positive Thinking, Norman Vincent Peale. Uh, Spiritual Roots, Stephen Covey. I mean, he just starts sending all these powerful books down that he says, if you can read these, you know, and I was struggling through the dog, you know, <laughs> I, I was having a hard time with normal kid books. And he said, read these books. I said, which one do I start with? He said, the greatest salesman in the world, Ogmandino. And you open the book and it's this quick little story. And then it goes right into these scrolls that mm-hmm. you're supposed to read every day over and over again for 30 days each. So the book takes like a year to read if you actually go through it. So that's what I did. I just sat there and started doing the scrolls every single day. And he said, I expect a report from you, my dad. And so I'd go in his office and I'd say, this is what I read. And he's like, oh, he's actually reading it. You know, (laughs) he's starting to understand it. And my dad's office was covered in books anyway. He said, well, when you're done with that one, you'll need this one. And he's pulling out the books that, you know, became the, 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 education that I needed to receive more than what I was sitting in the classroom going, okay, I'm grateful for a dad that would see me that way. And any parent can help their child if they keep the promise to the family 
to help them discover their signature moves. That's what that comes down to. And so how did I end up in Vegas? I believe it's because when I, I served a, um, a mission for my church for two years in Brazil, but between the ages of 19 and 21. And I, when I was in Brazil, that's when I actually realized, I guess I'm not just funny in English. I guess I'm not just funny in my neighborhood or my school. I'm actually pretty funny in front of a bunch of people that don't know the cultural references I'm referring to. And I can make anyone laugh in any language. That's pretty cool. And so when I came home from this mission, my dad was like, you're ready to take over the reins of the business. I said, you know, I, I have this idea. I would like to try my hand at being an entertainer in Las Vegas. I want to go, I want to go there. And he goes, do what? And I said, I want to sing, dance, perform. Maybe I'll become a speaker. You know, I've always wanted to speak like you. I, I, maybe I'm a songwriter. Maybe I'm a, an actor. I don't know. I want to put something together. My dad said, all right, uh, well, let's go to Vegas and see some shows. So he had told me about a guy named Danny Gans. Danny Gans was the greatest entertainer in Las Vegas at the time. This was in 2001. And uh, he said to me, son, if you can do a show similar to this, then corporations will want you. Uh, Las Vegas will want you. It was, a, it was a, an incredible show of musical impression. And so I looked over at my dad 15 minutes into the show, and I said, I can do this. And he goes, really? Yeah. He goes, you know what she makes? He had just signed a $150 million contract. And I was like, yeah, I can do this. So I went home and started working on it through my dad's connections, through the people he knew, through his work. He was able to get me an audition with the Las Vegas Legends in Concert, which was the top impersonator show. Now, I didn't end up doing Elvis. I didn't end up doing anything like that. I became, for them, Ricky Martin, the Bun Bun Shaker, the Lula Vida Loca. And then I would come back out on the stage completely transformed as Elton John. I could impersonate both of them so spot on that no one knew it was the same guy. And, and eventually after that job, I said, I want to do a show like Danny Gant. And I put together hundreds of impressions, comedy, music, my facial exercises, all my signature moves. And I became a one-man show entertainer in Vegas. Now, when you're asking about your financial advisors that are giving a speech and they're not sure where the curveballs and the fruit is flying from the audience, <laughs> the truth is this. Every single audience in Vegas is a tough audience because they expect it to be Las Vegas uh, promise-level commitment, right? They also are usually either drunk or tired or conventioned out or walked out or they've lost all their money so they're generally quite ticked off and so to be able to stand in front of an audience like that and deliver a hundred percent that became quickly my promise to every audience i know i don't care if they look like they're asleep if they look like they hate me i'm going to give them a hundred percent there were some nights brad i'd show up there would be There'd be 10 people in a thousand seat theater. Hmm. And it's like, we're really doing a show here. And I learned from the veterans 
the veteran performers, the Elvis impersonators, the, the Blues Brothers impersonators, they were giving it 100% as if there was 1,000 people there and there was only 10 people in the audience. That was when I was like, okay, I know exactly what to do. Learning from mentors, you just have to go for it every time you're on stage. And I hope that answers your question. Oh my gosh. Did we get I've got, there? I've got like eight follow-up questions. <laughs> so first off, you advisors that think like you went, you did a seminar and had a rough crowd. It could be worse. That's the, that's the first lesson. <laughs> um, so um, let's go to, let's go to the, um, the mentors that you mentioned. Um, and I, I think this can probably lead into a follow-up question, but how did you seek them out? I mean, did you just go watch some shows and pull them backstage? Like, how did you how did you learn from others? Because that applies just as much in financial services. Well, that's a fascinating question. No, every mentor I reached out to was a complete jerk, man. I mean, they didn't even help me. And and I would go to the you know to Danny Gans and others. They wouldn't talk to me. And it it became a thing where I would send them letters and I'd tell them I was their fan. I'd send them videos. Eventually, I found out that the mentors had to be people that were either on my level already or were just kind of a little bit higher than me. I couldn't get to the top top because I wasn't qualified to even talk to them in their opinion. Mm. So I would reach out to people that were kind of on my level, like a lounge singer, let's say, mm. and I'd, I'd where somebody I could actually see and grab before they went in the kitchen to their little hole and eat their dinner. And so I'm like, hey, how did you get this gig? And eventually, uh, these mentors started to show me that, yeah, this is a tough business. If you're going to do it, you have to do these different types of things. Uh, the mentors I was referring to in, in that story of Legends in Concert, these are guys that I saw on stage with me that were already in the cast. Mm. And so we'd go backstage in the dressing room and I'd go, you guys, what do I need to do better or different? And, and my first job was as Ricky Martin, the impersonator. And they were like, dude, Ricky Martin, shelf life, he's not going to be around very much longer. And I was like, what are you talking about? Ricky Martin's a legend. He concert. was hot in 2001. He was hot in 2001. <laughs> and they're like, dude, that's not going to be a thing for very long. And I was offended. But then I said, so who's a real legend then? And they said, a real legend is somebody who continually creates new songs that are new hits. And a real legend is somebody who is always relevant. And the truth of the matter is that Elton John was that guy. Because mm -hmm. they would look at me and they said, put on some glasses. So I put the glasses on. They said, here, just squeeze them down over your nose like this. And let's get bigger glasses. And now let's hide this. And I didn't have a beard at the time. And I painted a space in my teeth. And I put on an earring and we put a hat down. And I looked just like Elton John. Hmm. Then I realized I could impersonate him. But these were mentors that were saying to me, you have to remain relevant. You have to discover other talents that you could utilize. They were like, do you play the piano? I said, yeah, a little bit. They said, you need to figure out how to play like Elton John. So I went and learned how to play like Elton John. And that took a long time until I got it down. But then I'm on stage playing the piano, singing the songs. I would do the 70 version. I remember when I was young. Me and Sylvie had so much fun. <laughs> Singing a lot, and then I I turn around, whip my hat off, put on a wig, turn into '90s Elton John, from '70s costumes to '90s mature Elton, and I 
sit down the piano with his new different voice. Can you feel the love tonight? It is where we are. And I was like, oh my gosh, she just transformed before us. They didn't even know I was Ricky Martin, just a couple characters prior. Hmm. So do we listen to the mentors that tell us you need to remain relevant? You need to update your content. You need to continue to push yourself, learn new skills, practice harder, whatever it takes to get there and to remain in the in the profession that you're in. Well, that was some good 2001 advice because I'd say Elton John's still very much around and I don't remember the last time I heard about Ricky Martin. So (laughs) I'm glad I listened, right? Yeah, for sure. I mean, it's one thing to have a mentor, but you still have to be coachable. So um, I want to go back because the first thing I thought of, like your dad has this grand vision of you taking over the firm. And then you're like, I want to go be a Vegas performer. And what a testament to your dad to go with your dream. But have you ever deconstructed? Like he literally, I'm sure this was his dream, like bringing you along to these conferences all through the years. My son's going to take over the company. And then you throw him the ultimate curveball. Like, was that just like, boom, he immediately supported you? Because I think there's a lesson there because a lot of, lot of the listeners here, I've seen it a lot where they're bringing their children into the business. And some of them, it's catapulted uh, their business to the next level. And some of them, it's like, you know, it might not always work out that way. So is there a lesson from your dad and the way he reacted to that that you could help some advisors out there with? Yeah, that's a that's a big one right there. In fact, I'm I've written a chapter about that in my my new book that's coming out, The Promise to the One. Hmm. When I was so scared to talk to my dad about this, because I knew it was his dream to have me take over and to work with me. And I had to sneak around him a bit in order to go and record a demo of me singing and my own recording and my own songs and covers of songs to to try to figure out, can I prove to him that I'm serious? And so I was scared. And as I thought about it, how worried was he? I mean, that was what he had paid for my private school education for. And he was so excited for me to do this. Although I'm, I don't know if he thought I would be uh, competent and capable, but he was willing to take that risk. And so I remember uh, as, a, as a young adult walking to his office in our home. Our home is 12,000 square feet. I mean, in the 90s, we, wow. he was doing well, you know? I mean, just so successful. I handed him the demo and I said, will you please listen to this CD? And for the listeners that are millennials, the CD is a thing that spins and it plays music. And he put the CD in. And I remember sitting outside his office door as I'm praying to myself, please let him understand where I'm coming from. And he listened and I heard him listen through it again and then again. And it took maybe a half an hour for him to get through the whole demo in about, you know, a couple of times. He came out of the door with tears stained on his cheeks. And he said, this is you? I said, yeah. He goes, you really want to do this, huh? I said, yeah. He goes, well, then just be the best. You need to be the best, and I'll do whatever it takes to help you get there. What do you need to get there? Do you need connections? Do you need instruction? Do you need coaching? What do you need? 
it was almost like in one moment he, he it wasn't as if he needed to flip but there was a switch that had to say that's my son's dream what can i do to support it even though he had other plans and thought i was probably leaning towards those as well and this was a moment for me that has always been a, a tipping point moment in my life that my dad would support my dream even when it wasn't his and he's still to the day other than my wife and my mother and my children he is my biggest fan my biggest cheerleader so to those that are listening maybe i didn't answer your question as far as turning it over the business but what happens when they come to you and say that's not my plan what's your level of support what's your promise to that person that's asking you for help to make sure that you give them all the support you possibly can because that is a defining moment in the life of that young person mm. i just want to let that one sit for a bit <clears throat> i mean i think that's an awesome story it says a lot about your dad as a person says a lot about you willing to chase a dream and uh man just being a parent that one hits home with me so thank you for sharing that you're trying to practice your dad's speech where you're making me laugh and cry all in the same uh, conversation. <laughs> uh, well, where to go from that? Let's go into, um, as we were getting ready here, as we were prepping, I think one of the things that the audience loves to hear whenever we can get into it is you've obviously been successful in life and on the stage and a lot of other things. And we'll maybe get into the, the strategy that we've never covered on this podcast before, which is how to connect with billionaires. So maybe we'll get there eventually. But advisors love to hear the psychology of how does a successful guy like Jason actually pick his financial advisor? So any of that story that you'd be willing to share and you know, don't disclose any personal info or, or anything about your advisor that you don't want to disclose, but what was the psychology growing up as a financial advisor's kid and then becoming successful and doing well for yourself how did you select a financial advisor? How did, was there a marketing funnel you fell into? Was it a referral? Like just anything that you're willing to share would be cool. Yeah, that's cool. As a kid growing up in the, the financial field and the insurance world, I first of all recognized the importance of insurance and how foolish it is for anyone to think they don't need it. And so I've always preached that because I also did try to take the insurance exam and I failed it miserably. And so I... I was like, insurance is essential. And so I've always been a proponent for that. Financial planning as well, especially because without it, then you have an even bigger problem. And so as a kid growing up, I remember watching people come into our home and they would drive in and I had to manicure the lawn and the property. It was a five acre property outside of Salt Lake City, Utah, up in the, up in the mountains in, uh, in Sandy, Utah. It's a beautiful spot right before you drive up to Snowbird and Alta ski resorts, world famous. So we lived in a pristine spot. My parents created this beautiful property and space. So I was, I was the gardener. I was the worker that kept the whole place clean. And I remember watching these successful people come in and out of our home. They were always pretty much the millionaires around. And eventually a billionaire or two started to show up when my dad, you know, became even more and more successful. And as I've gone in my life to look at who do I want to help me, obviously I, I could save more money. I could be better as a steward in that way. 
But if you can see behind me, um, for those that are watching, I have a picture of my family on the wall. Those are the most important people to me. And finances and money is really just the tool to create whatever life we can for them, right? And to be able to give more to the world. And so when I was looking at a financial planner, I thought, how can I find somebody that can understand my dream as to what I want to create for my family? Like my actual dream, not just saving for someday, but putting that in place so that there's something always going in automatically and then we're good. But I want to figure out some things, some way that we can utilize life with the young children now. Because if we wait until they're until I'm old and they're gone, that's too late. So how do I make it so that I'm not insanely spending, but at the same time living a dream? And so I was referred to the right financial planner after I asked all these questions of the most successful friends I have. And I asked them, what are you doing? A lot of them did not have a financial planner. And it was insane. I thought, what is the deal, man? And a lot of these people no longer have either the job they were in or the money that they had once had. They had their ebbs and their flows of their career. But there, there was one guy that was so successful, he became my business coach. I eventually said, who do you use as your financial guy? And he told me about my friend and now my financial planner. His name is Jason Payne. And he is brilliant. He's a family first guy. That was important to me. He understood my, my faith and where I'm coming from. That was important to me. He also understood my vision, which is, I want to make sure that we're set for the future, but especially that we're living in the now and we're creating special moments for my family, which included buying a motorhome to the chagrin of most financial planners listening. I bought a motorhome even without my house paid off yet because that has created the greatest memories as our family has connected into in our entire life. When the children draw pictures at school about their life, they draw the motorhome. And so how does the financial planner see your vision, your dream, your life, your wants? That's where AI does not matter. That's where empathy, understanding, connection, creating vision and helping those that are dreaming big like myself to find the right financial planner for themselves. And I'm so glad I found the guy who I can call in the middle of the night weeping because I look at my bank account. I go, what have I done? And then the other time he goes, come on, sit down, put it in the, you got to put all those documents, update them, put them in the vault. We're going to meet. He is my friend. He is somebody we trust and we love. And he's made a lot of difference to us in the ebbs and flows of my business, which I make a lot of money some months, other months it's a desert. And that is the financial planning insurance salesman, entrepreneur life anyway. And he understands that. Mm. So you were originally referred to Jason? Jason Payne. Yeah. yeah. So you were originally referred to him by somebody you trusted. Yeah. And then how long have you worked with him? I'd say now seven years. I seven think. years. What are some things he's done over those seven years? Because I mean, you said like, there's a great relationship there now that's kind of turned from a financial advisor into a friendship. Are there things he's intentionally done as you look back those seven years that helped morph that relationship from a business relationship to a friendship? Oh, yeah. I mean, you know, he's got a 
fairly sizable office. He he could totally hand me over to whomever. And obviously there are things that he doesn't need to do. Like I don't need to call and ask him to walk me through how to load my bank account information into his system so he can check what I'm doing. But just having those systems in place is so helpful. Also, I mean, he's he's constantly making sure that I'm not getting off track. And he understands that that's my main issue because of the the feast and the famine life that I live, mm-hmm. which is unique to a lot of his clients. His clients are mostly like retired or have made millions doing their software company or whatever they've created. Because in Utah, we have what is called the Silicon Slopes. And mm-hmm. so lots of these technology people are working with him. So for me, he understands the dynamics of my business. And thankfully, he cares and understands. He contacts me in the summer because he knows that's bad time for me financially. He contacts me on those months when he knows I'm making a windfall. And he says, remember, remember what we talked about. <laughs> and so he's never... Double the deposit this month, right? <laughs> yeah. He goes, okay, remember, you have taxes coming up in April. What are you going to do in September? I, I'm just grateful for the reminders that he's constantly reaching out. It's not annoying. It's mm-hmm. helpful. He sends out a weekly newsletter of great ideas. I can click on it and read it if I want. But I'm just grateful that he's always there, that he's interested. And he's not just thinking, how can we put Jason's money in here so I can make more over here? He's not thinking that way. He's just like, hey, if it makes more over here, cool. If it doesn't, oh, well, let's put it over here instead if that's where you want it. And he's constantly advising me properly. And not with his agenda as his main thing. I think that's most important to me. Yeah, I think the I think the RV story is an awesome one for advisors to listen to and, and not just hear it, but understand it. Because to your point, money is just a tool. And if I feel the exact same way, you know, we take our kids on a trip every year, kind of a little mini family sabbatical, because it's important to me to create these memories and experiences. Because someday the kids are going to be gone. You know, I mean, we've got a limited amount of time with them. And I love the fact that you're like, hey, this is money well spent to reallocate it over here to basically an experience maker that we drive around all around the country in. Right. And so I think sometimes financial advisors get very stuck in the spreadsheet world where sometimes you have to look at the human side of it, the element like, what is the purpose, the experiences we can create with this money? And so it's cool to hear that your current advisor very much got that. Was there a process that he went through to get you to that? Or are you just like, we're buying an RV. How do we make it happen? <laughs> Actually, we talked about it for a few years because we were thinking, do we buy a, a cabin up in the woods by our family where we have a family ranch and all that? Do we build that now? Or what if we want to have a cabin on wheels and we can park it anywhere? And as we worked with him on this concept, he was like, I think instead of motorhome when you're 65, it should be motorhome when you're 35. And I was yeah. like, whoa, okay. Because that was always my dream, you know, yeah. take the kids around. Because everyone I've ever talked to that's like, we did motorhome when we were, when I was a kid, you know, they always say that's their childhood memory, right? Yeah. And, and so for me, I was like, I want to create that for our family because we travel anyway. And so... For him to recognize that and say, yeah, I think you need to do it. Obviously, this was a few years ago. I'm now 41. But it, it changed our whole dynamic of our family and the way that we create memories. So I'm grateful for that. Very cool. All right. So I want, I want to hit this because you've... And don't share any names. You don't feel like sharing. But you've had the 
opportunity to do some private events for billionaires, like legitimate, like billionaires, everybody on this podcast would recognize. I think one of the things that's always like, uh, huh, I wonder how they do that in financial services. It's how do you connect with ultra, ultra high net worth individuals? Um, Because for a lot of people, those could make great clients. Any tips you have? Was it just, hey, I had a relationship with one and then it was a referral onto the next one? Or what can you share there, Jason, that might be able to help some advisors out there? Uh, Okay, that's cool. I've never been asked this question. I've, I've had two cycles of billionaire moments, which has been interesting. The first one was at the very beginning of my career. I was asked to uh, perform at an event for free, which is never fun, (laughs) Uh, in Montana. In Montana, I drive from Salt Lake City to Montana eight hours to go do a birthday party for a a friend of our family. And I thought, what a waste that I just drove eight hours to go perform for 50 people for a 50th birthday party. Well, it turns out that this guy works for uh, the oil industry. The next thing I know, he's referring me on to the next opportunity. And they hired me. And in the audience was the owner of Sinclair Oil Company, which is a billion, you know, this is a billionaire family. The holding, Earl and Carol Holding were in the audience. After they saw my performance, this was in probably 2002. They saw my performance of all my comedy music and it was family friendly. And they came up and they said, we want you to perform for every single party we have. And I said, really? Who are you? You know, (laughs) and they're like, well, we own Sinclair Oil and we own Sun Valley, Idaho. And we own, I mean, it was like, oh my gosh, we're the reason, you know, or we helped uh, the Olympics come to Utah. So then I realized who they are. Next thing I know, I'm flying on a private G5 around the country with my wife. They're two retired Air Force One pilots putting booties on our shoes to walk into the gold-plated, I think it was the Prince of Arabia's former Gulfstream. And we're sitting there with these very, very wealthy people. And we're like, this is a nice thing. I like the corporate lifestyle. You know, (laughs) (laughs) We didn't realize what we had gotten ourselves into. It was the greatest gig of all time. What happened is once they realized they could trust me with their people, that they knew my material was clean and it was positive and it was family friendly, they used me for everything. And they did that for about three years. And I'm so grateful that they did that because they helped establish my career as a performer for corporations. And the next thing I knew, it spread like wildfire because of all the uh, word of mouth, right? Hmm. And so that was that moment. And then more of, of recent. I've become the trusted performer once again for some of the most important parties for the most important people in the, you know, as far as in financial is concerned and people that are making a difference in the world. And it just comes back to the same principle. They saw me uh, or their, their assistant saw me or someone heard about me and they saw me at one party that led to another party that led to a another event. Next thing I know, I'm, I'm the guy that they trust with their audience. And when one important person sees you do that well, and you not just have the door open, but you slam it shut, that means that now they're going to share you with everybody. And once one of them finds out about you, they're going to tell everyone how much they love you. And this continues as a cycle in my career as a 
a performer who who brings something of comedy, of music, of familiarity, of nostalgia, but infuses it with a message of positivity. You see, they come away saying, I've never laughed so hard, but at the same time, I was crying because you talked about your family. Or it reaffirmed for me what my message is in my life, what my signature movie. And I go, awesome. That was the whole point of the show. Mm -hmm. And so whether it's called a speech or a show, I don't care. But in terms of relating to and connecting with these billionaires, it's all about being authentically who you are, being someone they can trust, and being somebody that they know will deliver every time because they have some important people there to them. And if we can appeal to their grandchildren, their children, their spouse, you're set. Hmm. It's funny how many of those same themes, you know, we oftentimes say, if you're presenting from the front of a stage as an advisor at a seminar or something like that, they need to like you and trust you. And I heard you say the word trust about five times there, where especially as a billionaire, that gets like 100x more important because you could pull out your phone and live stream something, you know, and they're, they're very much in the public stratosphere, whatever you want to call it out there. So that's, that's really cool to hear. It's honestly a lot of the same principles that work for everyone. I don't want to run you straight into the weekend, Jason. So let's start to bring this to a close, although I feel like I could just keep going here for a while. So there's one thing that I wanted to circle back around to. Actually, let's just go to the philosophical because you've talked a lot about family and I know family is really important to you and it's really important to me and I know it's really important to a lot of our listeners. So I did a little bit of research and you had this random Facebook post back in 2015 and I read it and I'm like, wow. (laughs) That's good stuff. So I think there's a few things, but I want to get to kind of the philosophical conversation. So I'm going to read the front end of this post. And then I'd love to talk about maybe a lesson or two that can come from it. So it's 2015. You're just posting out on your, I think your random speaker page out on Facebook. And I'm going to read the intro. So kind of embarrassed to admit this. So this is Jason writing this. Kind of embarrassed to admit this, but I think I sort of cheated on my wife today. To explain what I mean, I was at Target getting a few manly things, you know, eyebrow tweezers, toenail clippers, beard trimmers, mustache molding waxes, beef jerky, sardines. And as I went to pay, I saw this woman in line that knocked me out. I thought, wow, some lucky guys with her. And in a split second, I realized it was my wife. So funny, true story, because you literally like post the picture of like two back in line from your wife as she's checking out. But there was a really cool theme And as a husband, it really hit home with me. And the thing went viral. So it hit home with a lot of people. But just speaking to the picture right there over your right shoulder and why we all actually do this business, which is typically for those that we love and experiences that we love, you know, to make money, to to do things like that that we enjoy. Share just some thoughts about like what you were actually writing there. And then in your opinion, why it went so viral. And maybe explain how viral it went. I don't know, but it was like millions of views. Yeah, man. I wrote that just at night, laying there in bed, you know, typing in my Facebook post, and then I went to bed. And then I woke up, and my friends were like, I think you're going viral. And I'm like, what does viral entail? And they're like, uh, it's being shared like crazy, you know? And within two days, the Today Show was calling, and, and, and the next thing we know, I'm on, you know, I mean, they're talking about the on The View, and they're they're ripping me apart or they're praising me. It was, it was kind of all over the place. It was fascinating. But I think it went viral because of the clickbait. 
which I didn't even realize I had created the perfect clickbait, which is, I think I cheated on my wife today. Yep. And the post closes after I have watched my wife trying to get her attention through text and she didn't look up. And, and I thought to myself, I'm just going to sit here and watch her. And as I watched her just in her element, I didn't know she was there. She didn't know I was there until I'm looking at her and I'm thinking, man, I'm so lucky, you know, to have this person as the one that chose me. And here I am, two people away. She doesn't even notice me. Like, how close did I come to this not even happening? Mm-hmm. She and I together. I'm so grateful I found out what, I, what I'm good at and what I have to offer because I never would have thought I could have somebody like this in my life, right? And so I just concluded the post by saying, it's nice to see those that we love with fresh eyes to realize the light they are in our lives. Because so often we wake up every morning and just see the same person and just go, oh, hey, and then we go off to work and that's the routine. But what happens when we really start to appreciate them? And that's why I like traveling. I go off through my speech and when I'm in the hotel, I'm kind of lonely. And then I think, I'm sure grateful I have a family that's at home and that's safe and I love. And it makes me appreciate them that much more, right? The separation creates the fondness, perhaps. But I think that the message went extremely viral because of the idea that people clicked on it thinking a man has just confessed to cheating. And at the end, they realized it's a love story. And all of us have a story like that. Or we want something to be created like that. And what is our promise to that person that we have devoted our lives to? I don't think a man has ever stood across from his spouse-to-be and said, I set a goal to be faithful. You know, I never did that. That's yeah. ridiculous. <laughs> that one might, that one might not go so well. <laughs> to be faithful. No, we make a promise. We make a promise to love that person and to give them our all, to be present, to plan for the future, to keep them safe. And that's what this post was. A hundred plus million people have read that post. And we have done that math just through the amount of uh, it headlined on stories in Sydney, Australia, to Brazil, to South Africa, to Iceland, to Russia, China, all over the world. People were floored by this concept that a man could look at his wife and fall in love with her again. And as sad as that is that people were floored by that, I'm so grateful that it was me. And for all the funny things that I do, Brad, that make me the impersonator and the the funny guy, I find it interesting that it was the words of my own heart, the promise to my wife to love her just that much more, to commit more deeply, to appreciate her every single day. That is the only thing I've ever done that's gone around the world. Yeah. It's, uh, you know, I read that and uh, you've got to be very careful in life to, I feel like the closer people are to you, the more, the easier it is to take them for granted. And that post of like literally you sitting there and realizing like being introspective enough to give yourself some space and like kind of play with, man, I'm sitting here like, this girl's hot. I'm lucky I married her and she has no clue who I am. And then the realization of that could have actually been reality. And um, that's what was so powerful. But then the stepping back and saying, man, I really appreciate 
this person that I chose to spend the rest of my life with. And so I'm gonna I'm gonna put it in the show notes because I just I love it. I think it's a great message. And so I just wanted to to get your personal insight on that because that, that one definitely hit home with me. Thank you, brother. I appreciate it. And I, I'm grateful that so many people have read it. But it really just hopefully brings everybody that reads it back to their promise and say, what is my promise to my family? No doubt. What is my promise to myself? And make sure yep. to live that. Yep. All right. I've got one last question and then we can uh, get on to our weekends here. So um, I would love for you to share. And, and what's fun is you've done so many different, you're not that old and you've done so many different fun things in life. So what is the one piece of advice that you would share with the audience uh, if you were going to say this one thing led to my success or where I'm at today? Oh, wow. I would say just what God created in you is your opportunity for success. It's the Matthew 25 parable of the talent. That's all it is. If you're willing to embrace what you came here with and you're willing to identify, clarify, and magnify it, that's how you become successful. I truly believe it. I've preached that my whole life. Cool. Well, you're living proof. I mean, <laughs> maybe we'll throw the other YouTube video of where you do the lip thing and how you turned your one talent into a career. There you go. <laughs> Jason, man, it's been a blast. I knew it was going to be a fun conversation, but thanks so much for, for grabbing some time and sharing with the audience today. I know a lot of this is going to hit home with them. So I really appreciate it and look forward to the next time we get a cross paths. Brad, I love this show. I love what you're doing. You have an incredible power and energy and spirit about you. Uh, I mean, obviously, you have multiple signature moves, but I think that you'll be known for this one, for the ability to connect people with this heartfelt experience that you have with every single guest. It's very powerful, where a lot of these types of experiences or shows are geared more towards other things. I think you dig to such a different place that that's one of your most fascinating signature moves is that you're able to you're able to get the diamonds out of the rough man and i'm honored to be a part of this your legacy that you're creating people don't realize what a podcast takes they just listen so i hope everyone will thumbs up or review or share this with their peers (laughs) because trust me this is a huge undertaking and i'm just honored to be a part of it today man thank you that's mutual man hey maybe this can be our second thing that goes viral right everybody (laughs) go out and reshare it so Well, thanks, man. I've appreciated. I've enjoyed every minute. And until next time, see you, Jason. Thanks for listening in on to this week's featured review. It comes to us from user Iguana209. Five stars. Awesome podcast. Brad, please continue. Listening to your podcast has become part of my daily routine. It's incredible how much value you jam-pack into these one-hour sessions. Thank you for putting so much effort towards this podcast. You had an impact on me, and I'm sure you had an impact on many others as well. Blessings to you and your family. Best, Isaiah. Isaiah, what's up, man? Thank you so much for the kind words. And man, these are the type of notes that just make my day because, yeah, there are days where producing a podcast is, is not the most fun thing to do, I guess. But I do enjoy the conversations. I enjoy hopping on the mic with ultra interesting people that I can learn from and simply being curious. So for those of you out there that maybe you think you have a podcast in your future, I just challenge you go out and do it. Set up a couple conversations with those that you can learn from that inspire you. 
and just hit the record button and you never know what magic's going to happen. So glad it's bringing value to you, Isaiah, as well as some other advisors out there. And I will keep on my side, I'll keep cranking out interesting conversations and, and get them out to you all. So hopefully we can add value and, and all get better together. So that's it. Thanks for listening this week and I will catch you on the next episode. Take care. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Elite Advisor Blueprint. For access to show notes, transcripts, and exclusive content from our show's guests, visit bradleyjohnson.com. And before you go, I've got a quick favor to ask. If you're liking the podcast, you can help support the show by leaving your rating and review on iTunes. Not only do we read every single comment, but this will help the show rank and get discovered by new listeners. It really does help. Thanks again for joining and be sure to tune in next week for another episode. The information and opinions contained herein are provided by third parties and have been obtained from sources believed to be reliable, but accuracy and completeness cannot be guaranteed by Advisors Excel. The guest speaker is not affiliated with or sponsored by Advisors Excel for financial professional use only, not to be used with the general public or in a sales situation.